Psalm 16, Psalm 16, lifeline for loneliness. We continue the series in hiding. Last week we talked about a topic that hits us all between the eyes sooner or later, anxiety. If you missed last week, it is online on our website. You can go there and understand also that that as we deal with these things, these issues that make us all want to run and hide sometime, uh, there are biblical answers. We're not left to figure it out by ourselves. And so if you struggle ongoing with anxiety, we want to be here to walk alongside of you. That's what the church is all about. There's biblical counseling available. But also there's another topic we're going to uncover today called loneliness. At some point in time, we all experience this thing called loneliness. And so we're going to look at uh, David's words in Psalm 16. Uh, King David was a man that probably understood this thing called loneliness. When you read the Psalter and hear the songs that God put in David's heart, the prayers that he prays, you get an idea that he was all alone at times. Uh, He was all along as a young man when he stood to defeat Goliath and nobody else was standing with him. He was all along when his family began to turn against him, even his own sons. He was all along when Saul threatened his life when he was hiding out in a cave. He was all along when enemies were pursuing him and the only way out was God. So we're listening by the Spirit of God in the Word of God from a man that traveled a path occasionally that was a lonely path. Hear what David says in Psalm 16. Preserve me, O God, for in you I put my what? Trust. O my soul, you have said to the Lord, you are my Lord. My goodness is nothing apart from you. As for the saints who are on the earth, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Contrast in verse 4. Their sorrow shall be multiplied who hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood I will not offer nor take up their names on my lips. O Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life in your presence. Here it is, is the fullness of joy. At your right hand, pleasures are forevermore. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that you'd give us discernment of truth and by your spirit that you'd apply it to our own lives so that even though we may be tempted with loneliness and we may experience this thing called loneliness, that we will understand as your children, we are not alone and we're not without help. And so, Father, help us to learn from your word and walk in your power, in your presence as we go forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. 
I just resisted and resisted to say, this is for all the lonely people all week long. That's been going through my mind. But I want you to put it in context. Hey, this is for all the lonely people, the Word of God, not 1974 Beatles. Loneliness. Just saying that word, it, it kind of has that note of sadness, doesn't it? Uh, when, when you say loneliness, it, it almost pulls your shoulders down and, and has a heavy tone to it. Loneliness is something that probably we all would think that we've all experienced at some point in our life, but none of us would want to admit that we really have been lonely or maybe sitting in here today and are lonely. Some say that the problem of loneliness has reached epidemic proportions. We do know that loneliness is a universal problem. It's just not here in our context. It's everywhere. And it affects all people of all age, all gender, and all social standing. Though we are the most connected people electronically, we have grown to perhaps the most disconnected people socially. We are networked together on social media outlets, yet there is a growing depersonalization in our culture. Amazon's new store, Amazon Go, you can Google it, represents a next step in the modern depersonalization in our culture. Amazon Go is a cashierless store. In fact, you can download an app on your, on your phone, and uh, that Amazon Go app, and you can walk in the store, and whatever you take off the shelf... You can just simply scan your phone on the way out, and your credit card is charged. There are no lines. There are no checkouts. They're, they just take the items you want and go, Amazon Go. And so it sounds good, but also just understand, there's no human interaction required. Interesting. Our loneliness problem has become so severe that at least one nation's government is attempting to solve it. Either this, earlier this year, the United Kingdom Prime Minister, Theresa May, appointed the first ever, catch this, Minister of Loneliness to address the problem in her people. Consider that 27.2 million people live alone in the United States. More people today say they feel alone than any other time in history. 25% say they have no one that can be truly their confidant. That's the general population. Those statistics go up to 70% 70, 70 among pastors. More people link their depression today to loneliness than ever before. The number of socially isolated Americans has doubled since 1985. So here's what we can say. Loneliness is a serious problem in our world, in our communities, in our homes, and in our church families. Painful and destructive consequences come from this thing called loneliness. Physical consequences come from loneliness. The New York Times back in December ran an article, The Surprising Effects of Loneliness on Health. In 2013, one report indicated that loneliness can impair health by raising levels of stress hormones and inflammation, which in turn can increase the risk of heart disease, arthritis, type 2 diabetes, dementia, and even suicidal thoughts. There are emotional consequences to loneliness. 
Loneliness, ironically, is seldom alone. There are traveling companions with loneliness called depression, anger, doubt, guilt, self-pity, and that thing that we talked about last week, anxiety. It's real. There are spiritual consequences to this thing called loneliness. God made us, according to Scripture, not to be lonely, but to be in fellowship with Him and with one another. He made us that we might have lives that are created, lives that are growing, lives that enjoy being enriched together. And it's sad to see people miserable in this thing called loneliness instead of experiencing joy-filled life in Christ. So what exactly is loneliness? I agree with Warren Wiersbe. He said it might be far easier to experience than to define. Yes, amen, it is. Here's a reality. You can be alone, by yourself alone, and not lonely. I love that world. I like, I like to go to some alone time every now and then. On the other hand, you could be sitting in this church among 400 of your peers. I wouldn't say best friends, but, but peers. ought to be your family. But you, or 400 of us gathered around you, and you can experience this morning, sitting here with all of us around you, gut-wrenching loneliness. So loneliness is really a, a feeling, on one hand, of isolation. You might feel unwanted and unneeded. That creates a loneliness in your life. Loneliness leads some people, unfortunately, to, to really believe that nobody cares about them and life is not worth living. That's not true. These statements describe this thing called loneliness, and that, that loneliness eats away at our inner person. Persistent loneliness, day after day after day, living in that world of isolation and, and, and that, that hurt and that heartache, it will sap your strength. It will rob your hope. It will isolate you from what God desires for you. Understand also that loneliness is not the same as solitude. A moment ago, I said you can be alone and not lonely. You can experience solitude and not be lonely. The German-American philosopher and theologian Paul Tillich made this distinction. He said, language has created the word loneliness to express the pain of being alone. And it has created the word solitude, catch this, to express the glory of being alone true. Loneliness is painful, emotionally and physically, born from that desire for intimacy. Solitude is the capacity to be content and be constructive when you're alone. Jesus often would seek solitude and go be alone so that he could pray to his Father. It would do us a great deal of good to experience some solitude quite time on a daily basis to be renewed and rejuvenated. Loneliness, though, is that inner feeling of being isolated, unwanted, unneeded, uncared for. And here's what we do know. Lonely people hurt real bad. I like Warren Wiersbe's de definition of loneliness. It's on your notes, so you can carry it home with you. It's a lot to chew on, but he just puts a simple statement out there. He said, 
Loneliness is the malnutrition of the soul that comes from living on substitutes. The malnutrition of the soul that comes from living on substitutes. So here's a question as we go forward and look into the biblical narrative. What are you substituting in your life for a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? What are you substituting in your life to give you fellowship and community besides the body of Christ? So what causes loneliness? There, there are a lot of causes of loneliness. It, it could be an endless discussion. I tried to categorize some of them. And so, first of all, you can say social causes. Plant fertile soil for loneliness in our life. We live in an individualistic culture. What I mean by that is the I is greater than the we. That is a culture in which we live. The depersonalization of our culture. Example, Amazon Go. Example, fast food restaurants with kiosks where you don't have to order face-to-face anymore. Example, self-checkout where you can do it all by yourself like the toddler does. So we are growing more depersonalized in our culture. I want to ask this. How many of us know our neighbors? I'm not asking where they live. They live near you. I got that. Do you know their name? Do you know anything about their family? Do you know any way to pray for them? Do you know them? And so we live in a culture that we're kind of focused on us. Social media. Our social networking can really be an antisocial network. You need to be careful with it. By making other people look happy, Facebook is making a whole lot of people sad. Will you hear me about Facebook and all other social media outlets? What you see is not really what is. It only gives you a snapshot of what they want you to believe for that moment and that particular time. Be careful with that. We need to be wise about that. You can have 500 connections on Facebook and be lonely. You can have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of followers on Instagram and and, and experience loneliness. Often the fantasy profiles on social media send people into hiding and into painful places. read some articles that talked about millennials and how much time that they spend on profile. Profile to get it just right, to tweak it where they look good and not bad. We live in that most connected time in world history, yet as a society, we're more isolated than ever. 222 million U.S. adults can connect with the world from any location with the touch of a button. Sometimes that's good, sometimes that's bad. Cell phones make it possible to talk with someone without being present. Not all bad, but there's good there. But you can text without hearing the person's voice. And we're constantly linked. How many of you have already checked social network while sitting here in this worship time? We're constantly linked to Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Pinterest, and Instagram, and whatever next they're going to come up with. So social media can be a source of creating greater loneliness. There's a reality to that. Hang on. Competitive lives. We're out to succeed, climb up the ladder, do our best try to achieve, and it's all about us if we're not careful. We do know, certainly, the loss of loved ones create a dark void of loneliness. It's real. 
But there are also psychological causes. You know, fear can create isolation. Fear of getting hurt, maybe of getting hurt again. Fear of danger, fear of failure. Fear makes us want to just isolate and hide. Guilt, what about carrying around past sins and mistakes and regrets? That guilt makes you want to go to a dark place and hide where nobody can see on the inside. Don't want to get too close to anybody because they might see really what's behind the scene and a struggle that you really have. Insecurity makes people lonely. can come from unhealthy comparisons with other people. That's what we do on social media. Insecure people tend to withdraw and isolate. Do you know selfish people who feel sorry about themselves are really real lonely people? I don't have what they have. Where do we get what they have? We see it on social media. I can't do what they do. What do we understand that they do? Most of the time we see it on social media. I don't have what they have. Can't do what they do. My life's not like theirs. I don't have that kind of life. I'm not a happy person anymore, so it's all about me. We toss and tumble in self-pity, feeling sorry for ourselves because of what we don't have and because we can't what we cannot do. But there is an alternative to that way of thinking. There are spiritual causes before we go further. Like most anxiety sufferers, I didn't say all, I said most. I believe that the root cause of loneliness is a spiritual heart condition. And we're going to talk about that this morning. Before salvation, a person is isolated from God, broken in sin. We're lost in our loneliness. When believers are not abiding in Christ, they experience a separation and a loneliness. And so a right connection vertically enables us then to experience right connection horizontally. And therein is your sermon notes. Is there a cure for loneliness? I believe there is, and God has sufficient resources. It's not automatic, but it's available. And so I'm going to talk to you this morning about two lifelines. A lifeline is that which is tossed out in order to rescue somebody in distress. God has tossed the lifeline to us. He has tossed the lifeline through the Lord Jesus Christ, first of all. And so the first lifeline is vertical. It is conversion. Yay, we got the word right. Conversion. Conversion is an experience by faith. You got to have the lifeline vertically. You got to grab hold of that in faith, the person of Jesus Christ, in order to begin to overcome this thing called loneliness. Because before that, we're broken in sin. Now, the original cause goes all the way back to Genesis. God's desire again was to have a relationship with his creation, and that his, his creation would recognize him for who he is, their creator. God created in, in Genesis chapter 1 man in his own image. He created them male and female. He created them to be relational beings, social beings. They were able to hear from him but also respond back to him. He created Adam and Eve. He told Adam in Genesis 2.18, Adam, it's not good that you stay alone, that you are alone. But I will make you a helper comparable to you. God designed Adam from the very beginning not to be complete without Eve. And then God crafted Eve from Adam's side, and she was the perfect fit for Adam. She completed him. They were created to enjoy a, a man and a woman, husband-wife relationship. 
And when God brought Eve to Adam, he got real excited and he said, Oh, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, she shall be called what? Woman, because she came out of man. We were created for each other. And then the Bible says that's why man leaves his father and mother and the two are united together and they become one flesh. So we leave and we cleave, created for relationship. But Adam and Eve had perfect communion with their creator in the Garden of Eden, right? Until Genesis 3, until the fall. And in Genesis 3, we realize that Adam and Eve listened to the serpent who was subtle and who was deceptive. He created doubt in their mind, and then they chose to sin against God's one requirement. Of every tree you can eat of in this garden, but do not eat of this one tree, the knowledge of good and evil. Of the day you do, you will surely do what? Die. We know they did not die physically immediately, but that began a degeneration for physical death. We do know that their sin against God created separation. In Genesis 3, when God came walking in the, in the garden, Adam and Eve were in the shadows hiding. For the very first time, they were shameful that they were naked. There was guilt because they trespassed against God. And so they were in hiding. God called them out. So the original cause for loneliness is our brokenness and sin. But there is a cure. And God has given us that example. In fact, Genesis 3.15 begins that first gospel look. But I want to just read from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. You write that down, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. We could say a whole lot about God's gift to us in Christ. We could say, for God so loved us that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Paul said it this way in Ephesians 2, And you, believers, he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sin, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince and power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves, because we were lost in darkness, dead in sin, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature... We got that from Adam, the first Adam, children of wrath, just as others, all of us, by nature and by choice are sinners. But look at what God did, verse 4, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when, who threw the lifeline, God did, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together in whom? With Christ. Are you there? Hello? With Christ, by grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest we do what? Boast. And so the original cause of loneliness goes all the way back to our brokenness and sin. But God did not stop. He did not leave us broken. He provided the cure through Jesus Christ, His Son. Now we can experience confidence. And so there's an overcoming confidence that even in the Old Testament, King David talked about. So overcoming confidence. Go to Psalm 16 again. We're going to look at this overwhelming, overcoming confidence. 
You might want to write this statement down because it's the outline in a sentence of, of Psalm 16. Commitment to God. Commitment to God brings contentment in God. Commitment to God brings contentment in God that leads to confidence in God. David's going to show us that in the words that God gave him. Verses 1 through 3, David talks about his commitment to God. Preserve me, O God, for in you I put my trust. O my soul, you have said to the Lord, you are my Lord. My goodness is nothing apart from you. David first commits himself fully to God. That's that vertical relationship. He trusts God to protect him like a shepherd would protect his sheep. David knew something about what it took for a shepherd to protect sheep. There was no plan B for David. If God does not come through for him, he is finished. And this sort of commitment that David demonstrates begins with faith in God. He said, preserve me, literally keep watch over me. Sounds like shepherd talk to me, doesn't it? David watched over his sheep, he preserved his flock from danger, and he's asking God to do the same for him. Interesting, the only request that David makes in Psalm 16 is, Preserve me, O God. His commitment to God, the only request. And so as David talks about that commitment to God, he talks in verse 1 about God being his refuge. Kind of paints the picture of that soldier on the battlefield stooping and hiding behind that big shield of faith. And David is saying, God, you are my refuge, you are my shield, and I hide behind you. Maybe it will make a little more sense if we talked about small children when they get scared, and and many times they would run and jump up into their mama or daddy's arms, and, and that father or that mother embraces them, or our grandchildren, come, I don't have any, but you do, come and embrace them. Don't want any yet. Got grand dogs. That's good enough. You get the picture. My refuge. His commitment to God was plan A for David. It's, it is striking that, that David is the one that says, oh God, I must trust in you. Preserve me. I, when I think of David, I think of that shepherd who was robust, who was an outdoorsman, and he could take care of himself. It was David that stood by himself as a young boy in the face of a giant called Goliath. It was David that Scripture talks about when he was an officer in Saul's army. The people chanted, Saul has struck down his thousands, but David his ten thousand. It's this David that says, God, I need you to preserve me. He he committed himself to God, and don't miss this, because... He was convinced that God was good. I think there's a nugget right there, and here it is. You will never commit yourself fully to God unless you're fully convinced He's really good. I mean good. He can be nothing else but good. He's so good He loved you first. He's so good He loves you most. He's so good, he's demonstrated that love in his son, Jesus Christ. He's done more for you than anybody else. David was fully convinced that this God is good, and he's worthy of my trust simply on the merit that he is good. And I, there's no good in me that is apart from you, O oh God. And so David says, "Lo, Lord, to you I commit myself, and he could do that because his God was good. 
through and through. Let me ask you, do you believe he's really good? Do you believe he desires your greatest good? And if you really do, then you can trust him. And that means something when you trust him for salvation. When you grab by faith that vertical lifeline and you become a child of God. You become a child of God that's no longer separated by your sinfulness. A child of God that now walks in his presence, that is now abiding in him. And so that lifeline is there for us. Verse 3, David talks about a commitment to God that overflowed to a commitment of God's people. We'll go come back to that. Hold on to that. Verses 4 through 8, there's a contentment in God that David has. Based on his commitment, it's followed by contentment. Trusting God is not a life sentence to misery. And the church today needs to hear that trusting God is not a sentence to sacrifice that leads to misery. It's not. It is the best thing that we can do to give us abundant, joy-filled life here today and forever. But David's commitment started by saying no in verse 4. He said, I will not chase pagan gods and pagan practices. David understood, I will never have a proper commitment to God and experience a contentment in God if I have one foot in the world and one foot in religion, which is what a whole lot of church people like to try to do. We like to get one foot in religion and get the blessings of our salvation. But when we walk out the door, we want that foot in the world so we can experience whatever pleasures this life has to offer for us. And David is letting us know, I have no plan B. God, my commitment is to you and you alone. But overflowing out of that commitment is a contentment in you, who you are in your person and in you alone. Contentment is in who God is, not what God does only. David's contentment was in God himself. Verses 5 and 6, interesting wording. You see some words, portion, lot, lines, inheritance. It takes us back in the Old Testament time when Joshua divided the land between the 12 tribes after their conquest of Canaan. Each tribe was given its portion of land by lot with a boundary, This land was their inheritance to be passed down through the generations. But there was one tribe that did not receive a portion of land. And God said to the Levites in in Numbers chapter 18, You shall have no inheritance in their land, neither shall you have any portion among them. And then here's what God said, listen, I am your portion. You hear it? And he said, I am your inheritance among the people of Israel. So the priests and the Levites did not have the security of their own tribal area. They had to rely fully on God, who he is, to be their provision for everything they needed. So David is claiming that kind of close relationship with God. When he uses that terminology, saying true safety and security does not come from property and possessions, but comes from the person of God himself. The greatest blessing that any of us could ever receive is the blessing of God himself. And the Bible says that and the word became flesh and he dwelt among us. The Bible reminds us that that we can become the very children of God in Christ. 
Paul understood this concept of the person of God. Philippians 4, Paul says, I have learned, no matter what circumstance I'm in. By the way, he's in prison when he's writing this. He said, I've learned to be content, no matter what. His contentment was not in his position, was not even in his preaching, was not in the people around him, was not in the place where he was. His contentment was in Christ and Christ alone, who he was, his person. And Paul says, in Christ, I've learned to be content. There's confidence that comes out of this. So a commitment to God that leads to a contentment in God that leads to a confidence in God. Verses 9 through 11. David sings about his confidence in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. These words were words that Peter and Paul looked back to when Peter was preaching about Christ and his resurrection at Pentecost. He goes back to Psalm 16 and starts quoting about the resurrection of Christ. So he connects. This is a reference to Christ, even though God gave it to David. And so Paul does the same thing in Acts chapter 13. When, when he's speaking to the Jews of Antioch about the resurrection of Christ, he goes and he quotes Psalm 16. So what is David doing here? Inspired of the Holy Spirit of God, he is rejoicing in the confidence, really, of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He ends with a positive statement of confidence. Not only will God deliver him from death, but he will bless him with life in his presence. On your notes, I think you have 2 Corinthians 5.17, right? Out beside it, it says, Our Christ esteem. Nowhere in Scripture that I know has God told us to increase your self-esteem. Deny self. Take up your cross. Follow me. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. In the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. But here's what the Bible does say. Know who you are in Christ. It matters. It'll make a difference in what you think about who you are. And it's not about you, your success, or your failures. It's about Christ and his finished work on the cross and the love of God that's demonstrated on the cross. And because we were broken in sin and separated from God already, God rescued us with a lifeline called Jesus Christ. That if we desire to turn away from sin and put our total trust in Christ, we can become a new person in a new position with a new purpose and a new power. We are different the Bible says that in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, you're a new creation. That's a new person, quality. You're in a new position. Now you're in Christ. You're not in your sin. You're in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him, right? So there's the divine exchange. Our sin nailed to the cross, his righteousness clothing us. And so we have a good, good father who understood we were broken by our own sinfulness, but in his own resource chose to love us and demonstrated it through the gift of Jesus, who became God incarnate and became the one who died in our place, shed his blood in order to pay in full our sin debt. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Lonely no more, because when we're in Christ, we will never, ever, ever be by ourselves. 
when we're in Christ, when nobody else is around, humanly speaking, He is there. And He walks with me. And He talks with me. Does He do that for you? But there's another lifeline. I want to go on. I've got to go on. It's called a horizontal lifeline, and the word we're going to use is community. It's experienced by fellowship. First lifeline is conversion, vertical. This one's horizontal. It's looking to one another. It's called community, and we experience it by decisions of being together. You're here in fellowship and worship as brothers and sisters in Christ this morning. That is a good thing. Here's what we need to know. The community of the body of Christ is a non-negotiable for the believer. There is no such thing as a solitary faith. It's not a biblical concept. And so as we are born again, we're born into a body of believers. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, by one spirit, we're baptized into one body. And the picture of 1 Corinthians 12 in the spiritual gift context says there are many, many, many members of this body, but yet there's just one body. And we've been birthed into that body by one spirit spiritually. We've been gifted in that body. Verse 18 says that God has established you in this body exactly the right fit for you. He's gifted you to serve him in the body, equipping brothers and sisters in Christ to grow up in Christ's likeness. And so we are made to live life in community. You okay? Some people try to choose Jesus and not his people. You can't do that. It's a package deal. You choose Christ, you choose a bunch of imperfect people, sinners saved by grace. We're all a bunch of imperfect people seeking to be less of the flesh and more in Christ as we journey throughout this life, living mission to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. That's why every Sunday that we come, we remind us of who we are in Christ. We are here to discover Christ more and more. Paul, in his old age, said, Oh, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. May we discover him more. We're here to serve. God's given us serve gifts in the body of Christ, that you are somebody in God's body, and you're you're saved in order to be able to serve him. We also want you to grow up to be like him. That's who we are. That's why we're here. Biblical community is what I'm talking about. It's the group of believers with whom we can walk through life with. The good, the bad, and the ugly. I'm not talking about who you worship around on Sunday because you can worship around people and they're just like your neighbors. You don't have a clue who they are. You may not even know them by name. I'm talking about getting connected, small group, community, to where somebody knows your name. Somebody who is a follower of Christ knows what you're struggling with. Somebody is rallying with you to pray for you and to pray with you. You're that somebody to someone else who is struggling and able to shore them up and hold them up. We are meant for the body of Christ. Have you ever noticed the one another passages in the New Testament? I don't know how many there are, but there are a whole lot of them. John 13 is right off the top. Love one another as I have loved you. Listen to some of these. Romans 12. uh, Show family affection to one another. Do you know your family? Just look around. See your family right here. For some of us, that's improvement, but some of you get nervous, right? 
Um, we all have family. He said, outdo one another in honor. He said, Romans 15, accept one another. Galatians 5, serve one another through love. Galatians 6, carry one another's burdens. Ephesians 4, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another. 1 Thessalonians 4, encourage one another. James 5, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. 1 Peter 4, be hospitable to one another. 1 Peter 5, clothe yourself with humility toward one another. You, you get the picture, right? Someone said it this way, you cannot one another yourself. So God has given the body a whole lot of one another passages to love one another as he has loved us and to do life together with one another that we may be stronger in the mission as we go out. Community is your support system. It's your sustaining grace when you need encouragement, when you need prayer. We're going to meet with a community, a small group of community of liberty tonight. Dawn and I meet with community. We need people in our life. You need people in, our, in your life. We need people that will sincerely pray for us, but we need people that will be God honest with us also. Speak truth in love, and if we need to be rebuked, if we need to be corrected, if we need to be checked, then they're willing to do it. People that when we struggle, we don't mind bearing our struggle with. Real relationships, warning, are messy. You know why? We're messy people. Our lives are lives that have mess in it. Just sinfulness, struggles, heartaches. It's not all that way, but all of us have stuff. So who are you living life with? Two considerations today. As we realize loneliness is real, loneliness is a serious problem even in church life. And some of you Sunday after Sunday after Sunday sit in here and you have gut-wrenching loneliness. I want to ask you, first of all, have you grasped in faith the lifeline of salvation? Have you been born again? Conversion. Secondly, if you have, have you embraced the lifeline of community? Brothers and sisters in Christ. Well, I don't know those people. Well, how are you going to get to know them unless you spend a little more time with them? How are you going to get to know one another unless you draw together in a small group? And the Holy Spirit of God will do the rest if you make a commitment to God and you find out that your contentment's in Him. And then you can do like David. My delight is in God, your people. That's the people I want to hang out with. That's the delight I have. Are we a perfect people? Oh, no. Are we going to let you down sometimes? Oh, yes. Can we be hurtful to one another? Yes, we can. But God tells us what to do when we do that. And he can restore us and make us stronger. So are you born again? Conversion. Do you belong to a life group? Community. If not, what's your next step? What do you need to do? We go through loneliness but we don't have to live there. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you will guide us by your spirit with truth. I pray, Lord, that have been able to reflect lifelines that you've given us naturally in the body of Christ. And Father, we know your word is truth. We, we know, Father, and believe in the power of the Holy Spirit who is the spirit of truth. He's able to guide us in truth. 
Father, we believe in the power of prayer that we can just cry out to you right now and just say, Abba, Father, and know that the God of all creation, the Lord God Almighty, the one who has all power, with whom nothing is impossible, you hear our prayers. Father, you know us better than we know ourselves. You see our imperfection. You see our ugliness and our sinfulness, yet you chose to love us and give your only Son for us. I pray that against the lie of the enemy for anyone that says God can't love you, you've already proven different. Father, help them to see through that lie. I pray for those that are generally born again, but they're struggling, Father, because life is hard. It may be harsh. It may be unkind. There may be heartache and suffering that's going on, and they're questioning where you are and if you really love them. Father, I pray by your Spirit you'd guide them close today. Help them to see the cross afresh and anew, and there's no greater demonstration of really how much you do love us. Father, like David had to cry out to you many times, how long, oh God, will you be silent? Will you just come now and wipe out my enemies? But Father, in the midst of wherever I am, I put my trust in you. Over and over again, David says, but God, I will trust in you. Maybe our prayer this morning is preserve me, oh God. For in you I put my trust. Father, I thank you that you allow yourself to be our refuge, that hiding place. We don't have to hide in darkness. We don't have to hide in our sinfulness. We don't have to hide in our heartache and hurt. But we can, can come into the marvelous light of Christ and find refuge and shelter and strength. Father, I pray for those that are struggling with insecurities. Because they look around at everybody else. They check everybody else's profile. They see all the posts and they feel like my life is nothing compared to them. Oh, Father, reveal to them who they are in Christ. If they're not in Christ, Father, reveal to them that invitation to come. And be made a new creation starting now. Holy Spirit, you see the heart. You know the weight that is there but you have the answers too so spirit of truth set us free from the burden of loneliness to know that as children of God we're never alone and you really do love us and you really do desire greatest good therefore our commitment can be to you with all that's within us Maybe there's someone that's not lovable in their mind. They believe the lie of the enemy. Father, I pray that you would open their eyes spiritually this morning to understand you love them so much that you allowed your only son to give up his life physically so that they could experience life spiritually. Do your good work, Father. And help us to leave with a great assurance we're not alone. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.